We just finished the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to start 2 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians talked a whole lot about the rapture, the judgment of the Lord, and all those kinds of end-time doctrines and, and teachings. So we'll begin 2 Thessalonians, and we, in this chapter in particular, not a whole lot of of end times teaching, but we want to introduce the second book that Paul wrote to church in Thessalonica. One of the things that we noted in 1 Thessalonians is that this is a kind of a baby church. And I say that because Paul founded the church, but then kind of got ran out of town quickly after founding the church after only just a few weeks of being there. And that's the job of an apostle. I don't know if you, we talked about that, but the job of an apostle is to found churches and to place leadership in churches, pastors and deacons and uh, all that kind of thing. So uh, that's what he has done. And he was very happy when he heard from the Thessalonian uh, church because they were doing well. They had love for one another and they were on track, I think, for what he wanted, where he wanted them to be from being a new church. And so that's kind of where we left it. If you have your Bible with you, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're just going to kind of go through a couple verses at a time. Are you ready? Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you look at that first couple of verses, what do you notice? Who is this letter from? The team, which includes Paul, says it right there in the first verse, Silvanus and Timothy. Paul is like a spiritual father uh, to both of those men. Uh, we know that uh, when we finished talking the previous book that we studied, Timothy was put in charge as the pastor uh, of a church. and Paul placed him there. So now, do you remember who Silvanus was? Because that's not, he's not always referenced as Silvanus. Silas. So you remember the story of Paul and Silas in the prison. So Silvanus and Silas are the same person. And Paul traveled with them, and together they contributed to this letter. So this is kind of a team uh, letter to the church there. Paul's listed first because he's the primary person, and he is the apostle, and the others are his kind of his understudies. When Paul was with uh, Silvanus or Silas, it was on his second missionary journey, and he was imprisoned with Silas in the Philippian jail. That's what we were talking about earlier. What was the miracle that took place when Paul and Silas were in the prison? Somebody, somebody. Well, the change fell off. Got out of prison. The jailer got saved, right? And his whole family. What's interesting, here they are in chains and bonds and 
probably their feet, you know, put in uh, stocks, and they begin to do what? Sing and praise the Lord and worship God at the midnight hour. And I don't want to preach that, but we certainly could. There's a lot there about responding, even in bad times, with a spirit of worship, right? It really is important for us uh, to maintain a, a spirit of worship. And, of course, Timothy was a trusted companion and associate of Paul's and went on many missionary journeys with Paul. Uh, and he was sent, if you remember, in 1 Thessalonians, he was sent back to the church in Thessalonica in order to check up on it, to make sure, how are they doing? Paul was very concerned, and that would be the heart of an apostle and the heart of a lead pastor, you know, go back, Timothy, check on the people, see how they're doing, uh, see if they're still continuing on in the Lord. And so that's what he sent Timothy to, to do. So we, we know who wrote the, this epistle. Who was it written to? The Thessalonians, right? The church there in Thessalonica. Uh, we know it was a baby church, but it was also a place where there was a lot of travel uh, and, a, and a seaport there. So it was a great place for the word of God to disseminate to other places. So Thessalonica is an important place, was an important place, so that Paul wanted to, to establish a church there so that the word of God could go out to different places. I mean, knows that not only is Thessalonica an important place, but Versailles, Kentucky is an important place, right? For the word of God to go out, for it to be disseminated. And I know that some of you kind of shake your heads and think, well, this is a small town, but so was Nazareth, and we talked about that, right? That's where Jesus uh, was and, and his family. Actually, Versailles, Kentucky, within, I know this from being over warehousing at the local Sylvania plant, is that within eight hours, you can reach about 30% of the population of this whole United States. All the East Coast, let's say the population, because out West, there's, it's not as dense, right? Population. So we're able to reach the Northeast and the Southeast and, and uh, even the North Central a little bit and a little bit Central. So it is an important place, and I believe that uh, we're here for a reason. So he says to them, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And that's his customary greeting. If you look through the epistles of Paul in the New Testament, most of the time that's how he greeted people. Grace. What's grace? Unmerited favor, right? God's riches at Christ's expense is one way you can remember that. That's a, what do you call that when you make each letter mean something? Can't think of the name of that. But anyway, God's riches at Christ's expense. What about peace? What about peace? What does peace mean? Shalom, that's the Hebrew word, shalom. And what does it mean? Calmness, that's a part of it. Wholeness, see that's part of it, but we don't always understand. Uh, the word peace, not only does it mean a, a, a good state of mind and calmness, but it also means 
nothing broken, nothing lacking. And so that's what Paul is greeting them with. He says, you need grace and you need peace, right? So it's very important, uh, those two things, that we understand what they are. Let's read verses 3 and 4. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly. That's a great statement, isn't it? Your faith grows, and not just grows, but it grows exceedingly. And the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. So they have what kind of faith? Growing exceedingly kind of faith and what kind of love? Abounding love. They have growing faith, exceedingly growing faith, and love that abounds towards one another. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Wow, I just thought sometimes it's just important to endure, right? Not to give up. Because we all are going to face some hard times, right? Uh, and sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is just hang on and endure, right? Uh, and make it. Uh, because that, that's important that, that we make it. Paul says to them, we are bound to thank God always for you. Now, Paul had a deep affection for this church. But he also, the way it's stated there, is that he had an obligation to thank God for them. How many knows that we should have hearts of gratitude? Right? And, and Paul says, I, it's my obligation to thank God for you. In other words, not only... Is he doing it because he truly is thankful for them, but because he should have a heart of gratitude? It's important for us to be thankful. We just came out of the season of Thanksgiving heading into Christmas, uh, and we don't often preach a whole lot about gratitude, but it's important and it's powerful, right? Can I tell you just being thankful will change your whole attitude? It really will. Uh, you know, when you get down and out and you get feeling sorry for yourself, I challenge you. Just begin to thank God for everything you can think of. You know. Well, I just took a breath. I'm thankful for that breath that I took, right? I've got clothes on my body. I've got shoes on my feet. I've got a, a belly that's been fed probably too much. I, you know, all those kinds of things. And you can be thankful and it's important for us to be thankful because your faith grows exceedingly. It's exceeding and growing faith, abounding love, patience and faith in all. Wow. How many of you like to work on your patience? <laughs> Maybe I should say it this way. How many of you need to work on your patience? If you don't raise your hand on that one, then you, you might need to check your heart. Uh, I, I think most of us struggle with patience, don't we? He thanks God, and he even boasts about them. Isn't that 
exceptional. Paul is bragging on this church in Thessalonica. And he's able to do it because he founded that church, right? And he knows what he taught them and that they're applying that and they're using that. And so here he is. Now, it puts him in kind of a, a, a strange place because he's bragging on something that he kind of helped start. But how many knows it's always God, right? It doesn't. Amen? If a church prospers and a church does well, they typically have good leaders, but those leaders recognize that it's all about the Lord, right? Uh, and it's God that gives us the ability to lead talking to a whole lot of leaders in here tonight to, to be able to lead and to do well. And he thanks the Lord. He's boasting about them because they have been faithful and endured even in persecution and tribulation. So they have faith and they have love and it's thriving. It's a little easier to have faith and love when everything's going just perfectly, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a little easier to have faith and to love everybody when everything's going real well and you're not having any problems. But Paul's bragging on them because their love and their faith is thriving even in the midst of tribulations. He is boasting on that. Actually, he says so that we ourselves, so Paul and Silvanus, and Timothy are bragging on the church. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you bragged on your church? I think you have a good church. And I'm not just saying that because I'm the pastor, right? I think you have a really good church. I think you have a lot of good people. I, all the time I have people come up to me and say, wow, I don't, I don't know what it is about your church, but I just feel the love of God whenever I walk in, you know. And uh, that's something to be said about our church. So we can brag on our church and uh, I think it's healthy to do that uh, not to the point of comparison but to brag on God and what he's done for us and how he's helped us right uh, and so that's important to do let's look at verses 5 through 7 which is manifest evidence now Paul is talking about their persecution and tribulation is manifest something about them. It says, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Wow, he could have left that word out, didn't he? How many knows that suffering is a part of the kingdom? We don't really like to talk about that. We like to talk about joy and peace and happiness and, and uh you know, all those kinds of things. But the word tells us that we ought to count it a privilege, and the disciples certainly did, to be able to suffer for the kingdom. Suffer for the king of the kingdom, right? Uh, the disciples were, especially after Christ ascended back to heaven, they counted it like a joy to be able to suffer for the kingdom. And so it was important uh, for them to understand that. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Hmm. So God repays 
those who give us grief and trouble, he repays them. What does that mean we should do then? Leave it to him, yeah. How many knows that God takes care of his children, right? And we don't have to get revenge. I'm not saying be a doormat. I'm saying we, we're, we're not to seek the revenge or to allow God to do that. So God repays with tribulation, it says, uh, those who have uh, trouble. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven and with his mighty angels. So God is fair. Here, when it's talking about tribulation, he's repaying with tribulation. It's those who are offending and hurting Christians, right? So God takes care of us. Uh, and God gives us mercy and rest. I mean, knows that sometimes your soul just needs rest. And you need to let the Lord take care of you. Uh, so that's, that's important. So the result of them having suffering persecution and tribulation is that they are counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Wow. That's important. I mean, want to be worthy of the kingdom of God that you serve, right? Uh, and so suffering, even though we don't like it, is a part of that. But we should count it an honor uh, to be able to do that. As a matter of fact, sometimes if we don't watch it, when we do suffer, we'll think that God has vanished, that God is absent, but he's not, right? He's still there with you, and sometimes he allows us to suffer, number one, so that we're counted worthy, number two, so that we mature. Sometimes the tribulations and the trials that we go through aren't just because we live in a bad world. But sometimes the Lord allows them in order to grow us up and to mature us. And God is a just God. Persecution and tribulation. It's kind of like in the Bible where it talks about burning the dross off of silver. Right? While we don't like it, it's kind of like fire that gets rid of the things that we shouldn't have in us. When we're going through that, we shouldn't, well, this is hard to say and hard to do. When we're going through suffering and trials and tribulation, we shouldn't always just pray to get through and escape it. There ought to be in our heart something to say, God, what do you want me to learn? Now that's it is much much easier to say than it is to do. I think there there are not every trial and every tribulation is for our testing, but there are some. The Bible proves that out. But not all. Sometimes I hate to say this, but sometimes we bring the trial and tribulation upon ourselves because of our choices. Yeah, I think he's trying to get some of those fruits of the Spirit to come alive in us sometimes whenever we, whenever we do go through some of those things. Just like we, uh, and I believe that we all, 
believe that we all do this because this is a good parenting. We shouldn't always, we should at times let our children struggle just enough to learn something. Right? I'm not talking about being mean. I'm talking about allow them to experience a little bit of hardship so that they mature and grow and learn. Because if not, we're kind of like sheltering them and sometimes they need to grow up, right? Uh, now, I'm not saying be unjust and let one of your kids suffer extremely, but what I'm saying is children learn by experiencing negative consequences, right? They, they do learn. Not everything do they learn through that, but I, I guarantee you that if you ever touch something hot and you know it's hot, you won't do that again, right? right. Now, don't let a kid touch something hot, but they might accidentally do it anyway, and they're going to learn something from it. I want to be the best that I can be for the Lord. I think we can all say that, right? And if that means that I have some struggles along the way, that's okay. Don't give me too many more. <laughs> but, you know, if, if it means that I have to be developed and strengthened, but I used to lift weights, especially when I was a teenager. And I was very athletic. Set a school record and, and track and high jump and all that kind of stuff. And without resistance from weight training, my muscles would have not grown like they did. And I would have never accomplished physically what I did. So having some resistance and some struggles spiritually accomplishes some of the same things. It's, it grows us and strengthens us. So it's important to repay with tribulation. So uh, those who trouble you, aren't you glad that you don't have to worry about getting revenge? Because sometimes it would be impossible for us to get revenge. You ever had a boss that just treated you unfairly in your workplace? I'm seeing a whole lot of shaking heads there, right? If they're truly your boss and you, the Bible tells us to respect our bosses and to work hard for them and all those kinds of things, but they mistreat you, it would be very difficult for you to exact revenge on them, but God can, right? We, we got to leave it, leave it to them and just love them. So many, what does the Bible tell us? That love covers a multitude of sin, right? And so when we deal with each other, we got to deal with each other in love. And the Bible kind of talks about heaping coals upon someone said uh, by our actions and our love and our mercy. But that is correct. Sometimes we can just love people to the point that it's almost like we get revenge. They feel bad about how they have treated us because we love them so well. Yeah, it's not for to hurt them. It's to help them to grow as well. There's an old saying, and I don't like it, but I do. Have you ever heard the term, kill them with kindness? There is a little something to that, uh, truthfully, uh, that we can treat people so well uh, that, that they don't desire. Tomorrow, it, 
just say that. I'm, I'm talking about kill them with kindness. That, that particular phrase is not in the Bible. Let's read verses 8 through 10. And this is talking about a coming day of judgment that's coming. So in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. If you underline in your Bible, those words from the presence of the Lord are very important when we're talking about God's judgment. Very important. Let's go ahead and finish this. We'll read verses 8 through 10. And from the glory of his power, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. In flaming fire talks about the day of judgment for those who had persecuted the Thessalonians. That's why we don't have to exact revenge and vengeance because God will do it. And if they don't repent themselves, that person that's doing that, then there'll be a day of judgment for them. For those who do not Know God. It's important to know God. You need to know God. That term of intimacy, to know God. When we know God, we will love God. And the more we know God, the more we'll love God. Right? The, the, the more we grow in relationship with Him, the more that we'll love Him. And there's Vengeance for those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Everlasting destruction. What does that sound like? It sounds like hell, doesn't it? Everlasting destruction. In flaming fire. The worst thing about being in hell, in my opinion, is not that it will be fire, but it will be separation from the presence of the Lord. That's a state of hopelessness. All around, no hope because the Lord's presence isn't there and God's the one responsible for all the good things, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from above, right? So without being in the presence of God, that truly is, I'm not saying that there's no fire, I'm not saying that at all, what I'm saying is the worst, in my opinion, part about hell would be being separated from the presence of the Lord. Uh, and I think that's very important for us to see that. It's not our good works that will get us there. What gets us there? Faith in the Lord, right? I was told a story by someone one time who was dying and they didn't, they didn't die. But they told me that in this process of they were dying and God saved them from that. In this process, they were falling down this metal shaft and it just kept getting farther and farther and farther away and darker and darker and darker. This is a person that I know, so and this is their experience. And on the outside of the, that shaft, 
it just kept getting deeper and darker, and he was bawling, this person was, and there was fire on the outside. So uh, I'm not saying that's what everyone would experience, but I'm saying that that falling in that darkness, that's about being absent from the presence of the Lord. It really is. Uh, and so I think that's an accurate description of all right, let's move on to verse 11 and 12. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, how often was Paul praying for them? Always. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? About pray without ceasing, right? But Paul here says, I pray for you always. Isn't it good to know that we have people praying for us? Isn't it good to know that people are praying for you? And let me just say this, and it's not to convict. If if you tell someone you're going to pray for them, do it, please, right? Uh, and if you worry that you will forget, just do it when they ask. Like, make it doesn't have to be a, a 15-hour prayer. God hears and knows the intent of your heart, right? And so I don't, like, I get all kinds of things on Facebook, pray for me, or things on Messenger, pray for me. And I never respond until I'm already praying, right? But I, I think it's important. We don't we don't want to tell people we're praying for them when, when we haven't, right? Have you ever been awakened in the middle of the night with somebody on your heart? Don't say, I'll pray for them when I wake up in the morning. Pray right then and there. You might be sleepy, but the Lord knows the intent of your heart. And somebody needs you right then and there, right? Uh, and so it, it's important uh, to do that. So Paul's saying he's praying for them that God would count them worthy of his calling. What is a Christian's calling? It doesn't mean that everybody is a teacher, right? doesn't mean everybody's a preacher. doesn't mean everybody uh, is a and on the worship team, because we certainly need some people doing other things, because that's not the full ministry of the whole church, right? Of course, you know this, because I preach this way. I believe that God has specific callings for each one of us. That he has given us certain skills, giftings, traits, that he has enabled us to do certain things for the body of Christ. All of the callings of God are for the edification of his church and of the people of his church, right? Uh, and so if you have avoided that calling on your life, start to follow it because you're going to be a blessing to somebody. Even when you feel inadequate. Hmm. Can I tell you at times, even after I've studied Pray, and after I've done everything that I know to do, and I get behind the pulpit, sometimes I still feel inadequate. 
It's also kind of God keeps you humble like that too, doesn't he? <laughs> but do what God's called you to do so that he'll count you worthy of his calling. Live worthy of his calling so the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified. When you do what God has called you to do, it glorifies Christ. Right? It lifts him up. It's important for you to do the calling that God has on your life. And if you don't know what that is, what we're doing tonight will help you. Being in the Word will help you to gain an understanding and a knowledge and a wisdom about what God might possibly be calling you to do. Right? So that, that's important. Because the scripture is God's word. You don't have to have a prophet come and tell you that you have the gifting of X, Y, or Z. Because God will reveal that to you. Now, that might be affirmation. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But when you're reading his word and something pricks your heart and the Holy Spirit says you need to be doing this, this, and this, or just this one thing, then that's confirmation enough, right? Uh, it's important to follow the, the calling of the Lord. Last thing, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, back to grace. Begins with grace, ends with grace in this chapter. That tells you how important grace is, right? Uh, it's important for us. God's riches at Christ's expense. Well, let's go through the questions. So who is this letter from, according to verse 1? Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Question number 2. According to verse 3, what is growing and what is about? Faith is growing and love is about right? Why did Paul boast about the Thessalonian church? According to verse 4. For their endurance through persecution and tribulation and because in that they had patience and faith, right? Those are attributes we want to have when we're encountering tribulation. Patience Question four. How did God repay those who persecuted the Thessalonian church? Tribulation. And it was according to the evil they had done because of how they had tormented or whatever, how they had treated the Thessalonian church. According to verse 9, what truly characterizes hell? Apart from the presence of 